This morning's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 and reading to the end. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, may I speak from your word in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I I was here for Clive's last Sunday, and Clive, if you remember, took the last few verses from Acts chapter 2 as one of his defining principles in church life. For there is a compelling and beautiful picture at the, end of, in, at the end of Acts 2 about what the early church looked like. Gathering around the apostles' teaching, in my imagination, I imagine going to wherever one of the apostles is having a meal or speaking in the forum and just hungry to hear the stories of Jesus. A priority very early on was to gather together to pray A priority early on was to watch out for those in need and to be generous in their provision for those who were struggling. And then there are a couple of throwaway phrases, aren't there? That every day the Lord added to their number. And that people spoke well of the Christians. I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're in their midst. And so I, like Clive, have found myself deeply influenced by the, our imagination around the Jerusalem church. 
What did it look like in those early days? Why was the good news of Jesus Christ so compelling that people wanted to know more? They wanted to be in the company of the Christians. And it's quite a good place to be, I think, to say, Lord, could that happen again? What would it take for us to be so on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ that we almost, that, well, we literally unselfconsciously live it out? Shaped by a loving God. Shaped by a gospel that changes lives. Shaped by a hunger to know more of the teaching of Jesus. Well, my second favourite church would then be the church in Antioch, where after prayer and fasting they set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work of mission. And there is a compulsive sending of the Spirit. And the first church in Europe is planted in Philippi. And uh, so if I was speaking to you at a church weekend away and you'd said, no, we've heard a lot about the Jerusalem church in the last 34 years, try Antioch, Bishop. And then I came to your series over the last few weeks. And of course, the Ephesian church is something it is really worth. Well, the Lord has given it to you in October and November in the preaching here. A new life, a new vision, a new society. I've been listening. Uh, I haven't got all the way through them, and if you haven't, then do you know they're still on the website? They're still on the, the most important YouTube channel to have, to subscribe to, and to have regularly, you know, I can even get it on my big television. Rob can be bigger than he is in life, <laughs> in my living room. I would encourage you to, to be hungry for the book of Ephesians. This is the final sermon, but do you know there's nothing stopping you going back and saying, what is it that shaped that church? Because it's a beautiful church in Ephesus. It's beautiful for many reasons, as you'll have seen in the last six chapters. But one of the sort of change, things that changed in Ephesus was people began to realise that no matter what background they came from, there was a bigger allegiance to Christ. There was a bigger identity that was found in Jesus Christ. And so it looked as though it was the place where at last... Christians from a Jewish background and Christians from a Gentile background could see they were part of one body, one Lord, one Saviour. And I wonder if we have to relearn that Ephesians lesson time and time and time again. Whenever our understanding of who God is and our understanding of how the Gospel is proclaimed is captured in one narrow cultural band we need to be re-challenged by the book of Ephesians. Your website says that this is a church with people from 25 different nationalities. You're already an Ephesian church. But go on. And in the next era, how will it change? How will it change when this church longs to to, to reflect the demographic of Basingstoke? This is slightly subversive. I love the fact your website says St. Mary's Basingstoke. I acknowledge the deep and rich history of Eastrop. But you're a church for the town of Basingstoke. And although this is online, so it's very dangerous to say, I have a personal hope that one day Basingstoke will be a city. I mean, it's already a significant town. It's a growing town. St. Mary's Basingstoke 
You have gifts God has given you, and that's the direction of travel we need to go together. Biblical, faithful, generous, orthodox, putting the gospel of Jesus Christ at the heart of who you are, as you so evidently have done so for generations. Praise God for that. But I think the challenge to come is a unique challenge. Actually, that's true of every age and every era. And so what might we do from Ephesians 6? A new future, a new hope. Well, the first thing, I had a lovely conversation with Philip last night, and uh, we, we haven't quite, I'm not sure we've talked to Jefferson yet. Um, oh, we have, oh, Philip. Philip doesn't mess around. So we are really hoping that we can get an advert in the press for a new vicar as early in the new year as possible. I think it might not be till September the 1st that we license a new vicar, but we think we should get on with the job of discerning who the next vicar should be. So pray for us, pray for the PCC. There'll be quite a bit of work to do over the next few weeks, but um, I am thrilled that that looks like the direction of travel we can go in. But you do get the vicar you pray for even after they're appointed. So I know, I think I, I, I said this to the PCC, maybe I can say it to all of you at home. I, I think it's, it would be great if you prayed regularly. You probably do already, but as part of your daily prayers, Lord, who is it that you're calling to lead this church in the next part of our story? We've got, I think, some clear ideas of the sort of person that it, we believe the Lord is sort of, well, you know, someone who will faithfully teach from the scriptures, someone who will be imaginative and creative in how we engage with the town, someone who will have a pastoral heart, but someone who will have a strategic intention with the team around them. And let's pray for that person. The other thing I just generally I would like to say before I just go into a bit of this passage together, I'm conscious most people in the church are watching this from home. And we've heard in Philip's notices about how we'll use this building in a unique way between now and Christmas. That that walk through the story of the first coming of Jesus in Bethlehem will be a visual walk an experiential walk around the building. I'd encourage you to do it, and to do it at a spa, in a spaced way. And to do it as a family, as a way to sort of focus your own family prayers. Your, maybe this Christmas, with all the fear, the isolation, and some of the darkness, we might experience the light of Christ in a way we never have before. And if we do it family, household by household, I wonder if the truth of Emmanuel, God with us, will so utterly transform us as households that the church can't help but be transformed as well. That's my prayer this Christmas. You know, normally, maybe for you as it is for me, it's quite a frenetic season. There's almost too many tasks to fit into the month of December. The church struggles to hold the season of Advent when our social calendars are normally so packed full. Our concern for our wider family, how we stay in touch. Well, this year, I wonder if some of the 
unwanted isolation, unwanted separation from those we love, gives us also a bit of space to rediscover afresh the truth of who the Lord is. In the first 300 years of the life of the church, the Christian church was predominantly characterised by households. That's where the breaking of bread took place. That's where the conversations around what it meant to accept Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord happened. That's where people taught each other. I, I led a church a bit like this for 13 years, and all the way through those 13 years, we kept saying, how can we encourage households to be the place where people grow in their Christian faith? where households pray together, where households pass on generation to generation what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it often seemed like a wistful speech. I wonder if this year we've begun to realise actually we can pray around the kitchen table together. We can talk about our experience of Christ together as a household. I wonder if that's what we as a church should be praying for. We will be back, won't we? We may well be back in all the hundreds by Easter. There could be something quite extraordinary about celebrating the resurrection this coming year. But what if it's not just a nostalgia revisited as we come back and say, oh, I've missed you, I've missed you, I've missed being here. What if hundreds gather back with a new testimony of their own Christian lives? That's what we're praying for. And that was the early church. There was a compulsion to gather, not because it had become a routine discipline to gather together, although Paul does encourage that in 1 Corinthians. No, they gathered together because they wanted to share the stories of Jesus Christ lived out in their lives. And so, to Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. Be strong in the Lord. A few years after this was written, those words were to have an astonishing impact. The declaration that Jesus is Lord was what marked out Christian discipleship. And along the Apian Way, during the persecution of Emperor Nero, they crucified hundreds and hundreds of Christians. And the test that they placed before the Christians, would you proclaim Caesar as Lord, or are you going to persist in claiming that Jesus is Lord? And there was nothing superficial in the commitment of those early Christians. They didn't think, well, you know, I'll say Caesar is Lord, but Lord, you know in my heart what I mean. No. They were unabashed. To the core of their being, they had discovered what it meant to live as Jesus, their Saviour and their Lord, their Master and their King. We serve another King, Jesus, was the phrase, the subversive phrase that the Christians would use. Why? Because they discovered a different way of living and a different story to live by. They discovered that actually the challenge is to live your life in the light of God's story, not some sort of palliative help as I prayed for God's help in my own life now. No, an utter transformation 
that my life is to be lived in the light of who God is, in the light of who Jesus the Saviour is, my identity discovered in him, not in my role or my place today. Jesus is Lord is the ultimate transformation of our lives. And do you know that challenge is not just to the world, the challenge is to us as Christians. Because do you know so often we find our identity in what we do in our church community. And that can be a great blessing at times, but it can also be a great hindrance as the church seeks to discover afresh what the Spirit is saying and to grow as a community of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He is Lord and we write our lives into his because he has written his life into ours. Jesus is Lord. Be strong in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Encourage one another. Not in palliative ways. You know, it's really good to encourage people by what, in the tasks they do. But don't, without becoming sanctimonious, gosh, we've got to be careful how we speak with each other. How would you gently encourage people to see that Jesus is Lord in all these circumstances? Sometimes it's helpful to look at someone a lot older and to see something you envy in their life and their experience and to say, Lord, could I be like that? I think of two people I cared for towards the end of their life. One, a, a lady called Dorothy Wimpress, who got quite severe dementia at the end of her life, so that I knew that every time I went to see her every month, I'd have the same conversation five or six times. It, it, there's a sort of blessing about that, if the conversation's a good, a good conversation. And it would go something like this, Vicar, every time I say my prayers... I thank my God for all the blessings he, he's given to me. And vicar, they are many. And we would pray the general thanksgiving from the Book of Common Prayer together. And then about six or seven minutes later, <laughs> drinking my cup of tea, Dorothy would say to me, Vicar, when I say my prayers, I thank the Lord for all the blessings he's bestowed upon me. And vicar, they are many. And I would go away each visit utterly encouraged and blessed by that refrain. Lord, when I get confused, I dread to think what might come out of my, my mouth and what the conversations might be and the attitudes I display. Lord, could I be at the end of my life like Dorothy? And could I just be filled with a gratitude for what you've done and for your blessings. And another dear lady called Edna, who said her prayers every night and had a huge prayer journal. And we found her, her daughter found her and called me straight away. And there she was lying on her bed. She, she died in her sleep. But her prayer journal was, in, was open on the pillow next to her with one of her grandchildren written on her prayer journal and the things she was praying for that grandchild. I think it was an astonishing gift of a death, the gift of dying well. Can you imagine speaking to the Father, 
about the things closest on your heart. And then one moment you're here, the next minute you're with him. There's a reason I've told you about her, and I'm about to get to it. Put on the armour of God. Can I just say, these are all gifts of grace. This isn't a sort of militaristic, it's a beautiful metaphor, but it's not a militaristic metaphor. These are gifts of grace. All of them are a gift God gives to us. Isn't that amazing? This isn't that you go into spiritual battle with all sorts of internal determinations pushing you forward. These are the gifts that come from God in Jesus Christ. These are the gifts of your salvation. There is a spiritual battle that would threaten to give us a lesser story, would threaten to fill our hearts and our minds with an understanding of who we are that is less than a child of the living God. A story that would threaten to fill your mind with an utter dependence on the affirmation you get from others, rather than an understanding that the direction of travel you're going on is one the Lord has called you to and equipped you to. It's interesting that Paul chooses to finish this letter very clear about a spiritual battle. I still find myself compelled by C.S. Lewis, who, whose proposition was that the devil loves two things. Either you pay too much attention to him, or you pay too little attention, and that both are quite effective. But the spiritual battle is real, but it is one. It is one in the name of Jesus. I do a little bit of oversight of what we call deliverance ministry, when people are really oppressed, sometimes through things they've consented to, sometimes through fractured relationships, sometimes through other influences that are on them. And they need a bit of intensive prayer. But it's never complicated it's always in the name of Jesus. And the spiritual armour that God has given every single one of us to live our Christian lives is straightforward. These are gifts of grace. So put on the full armour of God so that you can stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, that I might slip from the land of the dying to the land of the truly alive, using these gifts of grace to my dying breath. So let's look at this. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I hope I've illustrated that in the first part of this sermon. What's the story we live by? Who are you? And who's the person sitting next to you? Someone whom God loves beyond the power of telling. Someone to whom God has given his own son for your salvation. 
Someone who can do nothing to make God love them more and nothing to make God love them less. Someone in whom you might see the presence of Christ as you walk with them. And that's, of course, a beautiful truth, isn't it? It's a beautiful truth for the people we work alongside, the people we serve in our vocational places of work. What is the truth? What is the story that shapes your story? The second is the breastplate of righteousness, protecting you. I don't know if you, you probably have in this church, but I, I preached quite a lot in my youth to other young people. And there always came a moment in an evangelistic talk when you try to talk about how the gift of righteousness comes to you. And it's probably a slight, slightly simplistic illustration, but I used to take my diary, and probably you've all seen this bit of an evangelistic talk, and I would say, look, here's David Grant Williams, written through this diary, and it's now a 59-year, a nearly 60-year diary. Isn't that amazing? And written through it, there are a few bits of good endeavour, but I have to tell you, there's a lot in there that I'm deeply ashamed of and embarrassed by. There's quite a lot in there I wish I'd never done, thought or, did, or, or, or said. There are words that I should have used to build up, not discourage. Actually, it's a bit of a mess. Actually, it's an awful mess. Actually, if we were to read the scriptures, we'd discover that my greatest righteousness is but a dirty rag in the sight of a holy God. But the astonishing thing about becoming a Christian, our understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ for us, is he doesn't look at the diary of David Williams, he looks at the diary of Jesus Christ. That's the astonishing thing. And as we stand before God, you remember that question in Evangelism Explosion, why should I let you into my heaven at the point when you slip from the land of the dying? And you're encouraged to say, well, there's no reason for you to let me into heaven, Lord, except by the person, the death and resurrection of Jesus. His righteousness. Your breastplate of righteousness is your eternal security and it's nothing you've done, nothing you've earned. It's all that Jesus has done for you. That's the unassailable breastplate of righteousness. Your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We should never be static, should we, as Christians, even if we are physically static. We are not spiritually static. We are being daily renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, mediated through the word of God. We have a message to proclaim, we have a hope to share. And even in this COVID era, when perhaps elements of our national life, have, we've been closest to despair, hope is reborn. If it's a hope that is based on Jesus Christ, 
I love Tim Dennis, uh, formed partly through the, the fellowship of this place, has just published a book last week. I wonder how many copies you've bought from the Good Book Company. Hope in a COVID world. Short, 5,000-word booklet. Read it, but actually find your own testimony in it. The Gospel of Peace. Not that we're going to offer some sort of slightly fantasised uh, palliative message to our neighbours who are frightened. No, we need to go deeper than that. There is a hope in Jesus Christ that is rooted in the gospel of peace with God. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That shield of faith is what I would use whenever I'm praying specifically in the name of Jesus. There's no wisdom here, Lord. I've got no clever ideas. But I have the name of Jesus. Sometimes it's a prayer you pray in your heart and your mind silently. It's a prayer you pray when you go into a critical place. You can't pray out loud, in an un- often in an unbelieving situation, but you can be saying, Lord, in, in your name, I'm standing here. And that shield of faith will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your helmet, what protects your head, is your salvation. And the only active part of this armour, this metaphor, is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, For a few years I was a crusader. I don't know how many of you were nurtured in crusaders. And we used to have to draw our swords, didn't we? We used to have these races. It was about encouraging biblical literacy. And you'd, they'd say, draw your swords. Okay, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And the first person who could stand up and read Ephesians verse 2 verse 1. Now, I'm not sure how helpful that is. I wouldn't be encouraging you to take that on as a church. But it's fascinating that actually our, our literacy, our understanding of the scriptures is the only do I say offensive? Is that active part of the armour that isn't defensive? But do you see this beautiful, beautiful balance between spirit and word in this imagery? That of course it is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God alive to us. To convict us of sin and of God's righteousness. To show us that these words on the page written so long ago suddenly have a power and it's as though the Lord is speaking straight to you. That's our daily prayer, isn't it? As Before our quiet time, as we open the scriptures. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Open my eyes to see the things in your word that you want to say to me now. And then you'll know, won't you, that if we pray daily to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never do anything that contradicts the Word of God. But we need the Holy Spirit to mediate the Word of God to us now. Pray in the Spirit. And so they go on. And so he goes on, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind... Be alert and always keep praying for all of God's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, waiting 
for his own execution. It's interesting that a third of that passage is that exhortation to pray. So I do come back to Edna. I don't, there was one, I'm not even going to say who the author is because I'm not sure I agree with most of what he wrote. But there was an author that did have, well, it was Rick Joyner, but I whisper that. But he did say, <coughs> he did say in his, in his slightly strange vision of the spiritual battle, that the armour of God in Ephesians 6 is a forward-facing armour. That your back is uncovered. Now you might say from Ephesians 6, it's because of the importance of the gospel of peace. That you are a forward-moving church. You're not static, so the back is okay. You know, you're following the prompting and call of God. He said, and this isn't... I can't bring this out from Ephesians 6... But he said, what protects your back are the intercessors. Now I could get that, well, I could get the importance of the intercessors from those final few verses. And it's why I say, and I hope you take it as more than a slogan, that you do get the vicar you pray for. And the vicar becomes the vicar you pray for. But actually that's true of every believer. Helen and I have on a few occasions taken on roles that we were so ill-equipped for and felt so unconfident about taking on. And the only answer I could find was to find six people who I knew prayed and say, I'm really sorry to ask this of you, could you pray for me every day? And never really feed them much information because I'm not sure that's linked. I don't think prayers need information. But, they, but we do need the prayers. Because this is a spiritual work in our lives, in yours and mine. And so, can I encourage you that this church and the revival of this town will always, the place of the prayers will always be foundational to anything that happens. I am utterly convinced by that. We can be clever, we can get all the technology right, we can get all the training and preaching right, we can get the best home group material in the world, we can get comfortable buildings and surroundings, all of which can be used by the Lord. But I believe that renewal and the growth of the church happens when people pray. And so... Let's greet one another. Let's be personal with one another as these concluding remarks in Ephesians 6. Let's pray an astonishing blessing on every household that's gathered through Zoom and through YouTube today. Let's pray peace for each other and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you, the saints of St. Mary's Basingstoke, know the grace that you have through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he offers you his undying love, will you and I dare to believe that to our dying breath we might live in the light and love and presence of Jesus Christ. Amen.